So I've been, I've been warning you for weeks that it was going to happen, and, and uh, sure enough, the spring <laughs> came, has sprung. I hope you got outside yesterday, gorgeous day. Um, I was able to go for a bike ride. I went for a walk through the bird sanctuary, filled the cattle with my wife. My poor children had to go to school yesterday on Saturday because of all the snow days. Poor kids. <laughs> Saturday morning, the school bus comes. The school bus goes. You should have seen, if you were downtown Andover yesterday, there's parents with t-shirt, matching t-shirts. And it's it, with um, hashtag, schools in, parents out. Because there, no there was no sports in town. There was nothing. Saturday morning, parents going restaurant to restaurant and walking around. And, it was, a, it was quite a sight. Um, blossoms, trees, on the trees. Beautiful thing. So, and the kids made it home from school. They were fun. Um, but think about blossoms on trees. If you go by an apple orchard this time of year, beautiful apple blossoms. Just little pink and white apple blossoms everywhere. And those blossoms shrivel up and they become fruit. And you, pick, you get your apple, and it's beautiful and shiny, and you look at on the bottom, and there it is. There's that dead flower, but it's been transformed into fruit. And that fruit, with the, the power then to even grow a new tree or to be eaten and, and enjoyed, and it's just an amazing transformation. I was actually looking at diagrams of this week of, don't ask, I mean, I'm thinking about fruit, so um, diagrams of flower to fruit and, and just how... It, it starts and it grows. And, if, you know, an apple tree doesn't have a brain, yet naturally, uh, just from, the, from that one flower comes the beautiful fruit, and it's just, it just naturally forms. And this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and we call it fruit, because it, and that really is a great image, because it's something that transforms, that the Holy Spirit of God transforms us into something beautiful and good apart from God without God we are not transformed we operate only in our flesh and we we've learned that our flesh apart from God uh, desires things that are contrary to God's spirit and God's spirit desires things uh, for us that are are contrary to our flesh we are in conflict even internally with with this we cannot trust ourselves or when we do trust ourselves it goes very bad we need God's Spirit to come in and do that amazing work of transforming and bringing about true fruit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And then today, as we consider this idea, the one aspect of that fruit we want to think about is peace. The peace of God as a part of the fruit that His Spirit is producing within us. To understand peace, we're going to look back at a passage that we actually looked at recently, back to the book of Philippians, which we looked at in its entirety, we're now coming back to a passage of scripture that our friend Faustin, I don't know if you were here that week, but Faustin, he's from Rwanda and he has a ministry in Kenya and in Africa. He uh, preached and focused sort of on the first part of this passage. And I want to review that, but also look later because this is all about the peace of God. Verse 7, it says, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. And then in verse 9, talks about that the God of peace is with us. We can have the peace of God because we have the God of peace uh, who is with us. And 
as God's spirit is at work producing this peace, there's three transformations that we see. And I want to look at each of these three transformations. The first transformation is how... Uh, the first transformation is from conflict to peace. The second transformation is from anxiety to peace. And the third transformation is from momentary peace to abiding peace or lasting peace. I want to look at those three transformations. Let's pray as we begin. And as you bow your heads and as you close your eyes and we stop here each week to pray, I pray for myself. But I want you to pray this morning and I want you to consider whatever comes to your mind, what is troubling you the most this morning? And as we sit here with our heads bowed, God may put on your heart, what is, what is most troubling you? What is worrying you the most? Maybe, maybe one thing or maybe three things God is putting on your heart right now. As you consider that, let us pray. Father God, our prayer does not start with our needs and our worries. Our prayer starts with you, the God who is present, the God who hears us, the God who is sovereign over all things. And as we consider this morning, perhaps things that worry us, things that trouble us, we pray that in some way this morning that we would know the fruit of your spirit to bring about peace to those places, to transform these things into something beautiful. We just humbly ask that we might grow to know something of your spirit, that you might prompt us to take steps as you guide us, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The first transformation uh, we'll look at here is a transformation from conflict or disunity to peace. Verse 2, Paul, writing from... Uh, Prison, he says to the church in Philippi, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement, the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. As you will recall when we studied this letter, it was a very encouraging letter. The church in Philippi, very healthy church. Paul is writing to thank them, to encourage them, thank them for the, for the gifts they had sent, for the support that they had sent him. And yet, there was a conflict in that church that came to his attention that was serious enough that he needed to call these women out publicly in his letter. And think of this. The names Euodia and Syntyche are permanently recorded in the word of God solely because they were in conflict with one another. So that hundreds of years later... We have their names, they were in conflict, and we can consider what was going on. It was, but it was that important that it had to be recorded in this way. And, you know, if, if, if the Holy Spirit, if what the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is producing within us is peace, then that peace is going to extend from us to our relationships with one another. And if we are in conflict with one another, God's peace is not ruling there. And therefore... Something's got to change. We need to be serious about this. We need to be serious about the reality of conflict. And, and perhaps one of the things that comes to your mind that most worries you or most troubles you is about a, a conflict or a strange relationship with a 
maybe with a coworker or with your spouse or with a family member or somebody close to you. And we need to be serious about this because even in a community of believers, conflict will arise. And even a good church like Philippi, a healthy church, and it's almost inevitable. But why? Why is it in a church or in a healthy church that you're going to see these things? It's because people are passionate. It's because the stakes are very high. It's because it's important what we do together as God has called us to be a community. In your family, that God has called you to be a family together. And if if you didn't care, then there wouldn't be a lot of conflict because who cares? But when we care and when we are passionate, then conflict um, is almost inevitable in that type of emotionally charged relationships. And the peace of the Holy Spirit can be very hard to understand or to see in the midst of the, of the conflict. So what is the solution? What, where do we go? And we see it in verse 2. Paul pleads with these women. He says, I plead with you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Not just figure out how to agree with each other or find some way to resolve your conflict, but have a different mindset. Change your mind to have the mind of the Lord. Or as he taught, he taught them earlier in chapter 2. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was the mindset of Christ Jesus? Jesus Christ, he describes, who in his very nature, God, did not consider his divine status, his divine being, uh, something to be used just to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant. He takes on human flesh, and he walks, and he becomes obedient to death on a cross, a death in our place, a death to save us, a death to forgive us. He, he becomes obedient and suffers for us. He lays down his life for us. He said, these two women in conflict, that's got to be your mindset. That I am here and I am so committed to resolve this, I'm willing to, to lay down my rights, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to consider the other better than myself. I can therefore be humble. I can therefore own the wrong that I've done. I can you know, not just let pride get in the way but Because forgiveness will always be costly. It will always cost something to, to forgive and to resolve conflict. But there needs to be uh, people who are coming to at least try to be of the same mind with one another. That means they actually have to, if you're in conflict, you actually have to interact with one another. You actually have to deal with it. Not just go to someone else and invent about it and feel better about it, but actually with that person. And it may include other people. Look at verse 3, encouraging the church to help these women. We need support to resolve these things, but the danger is to go to support for a conflict for somebody, and they just defend you. Yeah, that person was wrong. They were mean to you. They shouldn't have treated you that way. And you feel better, and you feel justified, and you dig in even deeper. But the true help in reconciliation is to come together not just to defend ourselves, but to seek to have the same mind. And it's important because these conflicts are not spiritually neutral. That this impacts community. It, 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 it demonstrates what we believe about God. And these are key leaders here. These are, peop- these are two women who had contended with Paul. They are true believers. Their names, he goes out of his way. Their names are written in the book of life. These are true uh, leaders and co-laborers in the, in the gospel. If you're here this morning and one of the things that troubles you or one of the things in your life is, is a conflict or a, a hurt relationship, 
the, the step for us here is to know that the Spirit of God at work producing fruit in our lives is one that can drive us towards peace with one another, but we have to believe it. We have to want it. We have to not just give up, but to know that this is a peace that will uh, impact not just us, but our whole community, but that it will be costly. And if we just give up, our flesh wins. We feel justified, perhaps, but the conflict remains. But if we are committed to this, we have all the spiritual resources that we need to do it. We have one another and the Spirit of God doing that work of transformation. And that is the first transformation from a point of conflict to a point of peace. Second transformation. As the Holy Spirit is at work in us, there is a transformation from anxiety to peace. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, so verse 6 is almost unfair. I mean, really, do not be anxious about anything. This is a teaching, I mean, we all get nervous. We all, there's so many things to be anxious about. You're, you're your health and your, your job and, and your family and your finances and your future. and I mean, just you could just go through the list. There's plenty to be. Do not be anxious about anything. But we know anxiety is not good. Stress is, is it's bad. It's bad for our health. It, 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 it is destructive to the human body. And, and, and I, I get anxious about things. And I've been anx- recently I've been anxious. And you, get, you know, I, you've experienced the, kind of the, the, the flutter, the, the, the stomach thing. I used to... So I confess, I just shared this this morning for the first time. And I used to get really, really nervous when I preach. And I still do. I still get a little butterfly. But in 2005, in the basement of this church, throwing up, I was so nervous about a sermon. And, um, and I didn't tell anybody that at the time. And, and, um, but the, again, God, as we rely on ourselves, as we allow that anxiety to, to run wild. It can it impacts our bodies. Now, I didn't throw up this morning. Um, not yet, anyway. Um, and again, that's a very minor thing. I got over it quite quickly. But um, people who have cardiac issues and other major health concerns, and actually there, there are forms of anxiety that are so crushing and debilitating um, that, you know, without intervention, you know, certainly God's spirit at work, but um, to not be ashamed that we need help from even from medical professionals and others. Uh, but the, uh, this is more talking about the day-to-day anxiety and stresses of life, not that, um, sort of that uh, clinical debilitating anxiety. But, um, but either way here, anxiety hurts our bodies, and it, and it also hurts the people around us. If you've ever um, lived, if you have a uh, you live with anxious people or you have an anxious coworker, and the impact that that can have. So what's the, what is the antidote? What is the answer to the anxiety of life? Do not be anxious about anything. What's the solution? The solution is prayer. In all things, pray. Give, it to the, give that baggage that you're holding on to to the God who can do something with it and do something about it. And there's a direct correlation between the amount of worry that we experience and the amount of prayer that we, that we do in our lives. There's, 
this uh, needing to bring the, our worries to the God of the universe who's sovereign over all things. And it's not just bringing our worries, but here it's don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So don't just feel the anxiety and say, God, uh, here's what I'm worried about. But God, here's what I'm worried about, and I'm also going to pray what I'm thankful for. Because it's you could find at any time you could find something to be anxious about. At any time you could probably also find something to be grateful for. Blessings that can be counted. The fact that you're alive and breathing today, and you had the wherewithal to make it into this church, in this country, in this town, you probably have things to be thankful. So with our worry, we bring our thanksgiving to God. That is changing our hearts. And God's Spirit is using this as we pray to transform our anxiety into his peace. At the end of the day, our worry and our anxiety, it shows us what we really believe about God. Am I in control or is God in control? And the peace of God guards our hearts and it guards our minds. The way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. And there's the deep connection. Now, that's not new. That's not, and it may even sound oversimplified depending on the level of anxiety that you feel. But isn't it really this simple? You know, you sit with somebody, I'll sit with somebody and they share a concern with me and I say, can we just stop and pray about that? We pray about the concern and they say amen. They look up and say, I feel so much better. We just stopped and prayed. The circumstances did not change in that moment. Yet there is a peace that, was, that could be felt in an instant through prayer. Doesn't mean your problems don't go away. Doesn't mean that anxiety will not uh, be a problem in the future. It's just um, God has given this, this beautiful resource as his spirit is transforming our anxiety into his peace. Thirdly, third transformation. The third transformation is the transformation from momentary peace to abiding peace. And again, unless you suffer from a, sort of a chronic anxiety, my guess is that most people in this room, you have moments when you're worried, but you, you experience moments of peace in your life, and, and that's good. And the hope, though, we would all have is, wouldn't it be better if we had peace, if peace wasn't so fleeting? if it wasn't elusive, if it was an abiding and a, a resting kind of a thing, that we could be freed from this whiplash of worry and then peace, and then worry again and then peace, and that we could have more of an abiding peace. And that's where verse 8 comes in. Look at this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We can have the peace of God in an abiding and a remaining way because the God of peace is with us and abiding and remaining with us. And since God is with us all the time, he will never leave us or forsake us as we put our faith in him. What we can do then is think about God. We can set our minds to Focus on the things that reflect God, things that are true and beautiful and right and noble and pure and lovely. And we focus our minds on those things and it reminds us of the God. It points us to the God who is with us, the God.
the God of peace. And his abiding presence makes these transformations. The conflict is transformed into peace. A worry is transformed into peace. And, and now that is a peace that is going to be growing and abiding. And there's a deep connection between our ability to focus our minds on these things and our actions that are going to flow from that. Again, in verse uh, 9, or verse, yeah, verse 9, it's about thinking about these things and now putting them into practice. You know, it's all just based on the principle that there's patterns of thought that are good and helpful and drive us to good things, and there's patterns of thought that are negative and destructive and drive us towards bad things. And here, the thoughts that we have from God's Spirit are thoughts that are helpful and true and good thoughts and not the negative and lies. I mean, just think of the negative, the opposite of these, of these same characteristics in verse 8. You know, whatever is negative or destructive or... Uh, false, dishonorable, wrong, polluted, ugly, shameful, careless, deserving of condemnation. You know, if you were to think about those things, you can imagine how that's going to impact your life. And the problem is, you go about your day-to-day life, and messages are going to come at you from every direction, right? Through your phone and through the internet and the things that you see and what you hear people say as you walk about the street, as you go to work, that there's going to be a mix of beautiful and lovely things, but also negative and destructive things. And what do we choose to meditate on? What do we choose to focus on and fill our mind with? And this is the difference between Christian meditation and traditional Eastern meditation. Meditation, meditation traditionally is an emptying of the mind. You just, you know, too many messages, too much noise, just empty your mind out. That's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is a filling of the mind. It's focusing on the things of God. It's focusing on the character of God and dwelling on that. That's, it's very biblical. David in the Psalms, he says, I, on your word, I meditate day and night. There's, there's, it's taking what you see of God or something that reflects God because of its beauty, because of its excellence, its praiseworthiness, and you fill your mind and you focus on that thing. And that will... And again, this kind of sounds like pop psychology, but the Apostle Paul is not a psychologist or a psychotherapist, you know, working with a client, saying, you know, don't dwell on the negative thoughts, think positive thoughts, and focus on those things. And there's studies, again, this is not, um, you know, just secular understanding of these things. If you think positive thoughts, it will lead to positive action. If you think positive things and, and visualize positive things that, you know, enhances your job performance. And, but this is not pop psychology. <clears throat> Paul's not a motivational speaker. He's not a life coach. You, the big difference here is that your life is not your little project or somebody's little project. This isn't about you um, just thinking positive thoughts. It's about focusing your mind on the truth of God and letting his presence and the power of his spirit transform you, not some little thought project, but a renewing of the mind, as Romans 12 says. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the work of God's spirit in you. And it will change you. This is a transformation. Now, this, these moments of peace that I experience are good. Now, these moments of peace are now an abiding peace that God is developing in us. Jesus affirmed this. He said, where your 
treasure is there, your heart will be also. He, the connection of our action and our heart on the inside. Jesus said, what comes in Mark chapter 7, he said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Not the, he's saying not the things that you eat, but it's what comes out of you. What From within, out of, a, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. What's on the inside? And what do we focus on? And how is God taking the polluted inside and transforming it into that which is lovely and good and pure and beautiful? So how do we put this into practice every day? The pace of life that we live and the amount of information that you'll get any day is, is astounding. And if we don't stop, if we do not still ourselves to take a moment out of your day, to take Sabbath out of your week, to, to take time to focus on that which is good in a way with the things that are opposite of that. Uh, we, we, can't, we need to be still and know that he is God. What are the first things that we look at in the morning? What are the, how are we recognizing that which is beautiful and good and focusing our minds? Because all these other things are going to come at you at the same pace. And as we focus our minds this way, we see that the God of peace is with us. And we think of his character and things that reflect his goodness. And this fleeting peace becomes an abiding peace. I pray that this morning, uh, in some way, that whatever God has brought to your mind that troubles you, that worries you, whether it's a conflict, relationship, whether it's just an anxiety of life, that you might experience, even this morning, some of this transformation. From conflict to peace, from anxiety to peace, from peace that doesn't last to peace that does last. And, and again, sort of, this may seem oversimplified. Is the formula really that simple? Is it really just to believe? Is it really just to trust? Is it really just to pray? The God of peace is with you. Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace does not come from this world or anything in this world. The peace of God comes from the God of peace who is with you. May you know his peace. Amen.